What's up everyone, welcome to the Life Livers Academy. I'm Jamie O'Donnell and the purpose of this podcast is to connect you with the people, ideas, mindsets and inspiration to empower you to chase your dreams, unlock your potential and live life to the fullest each day. Get ready for some inspiring conversations and incredible insights from people who are out there living life, having fun and dominating their chosen path. I appreciate you tuning in, now let's get this episode underway. Radio. Uh, it's my pleasure to welcome my guest on uh, today, Sean Cobes. Uh, Sean's got a extensive background. Uh, he has played, represented Australia in rugby uh, through the Australian Defence Force side. He was in the military, who served in Afghanistan as a military sniper, uh, being deployed multiple times. During that time, um, he actually was awarded the commendation for gallantry, which is. Uh, a pretty special award that's not given to many. As far as I understand it, there's only 68 people across the Australian Defence Force who have received that level of honour, uh, and that represents acts of great heroism uh, on the battlefield. He uh, is a, a decorated uh, man when it comes to his military career, but he is now uh, in a different phase of his career where he works as the head strength and conditioning coach at Tiger Muay Thai uh, in Thailand. He is the owner of uh, performance functional training. He is an NLP practitioner, Swiss 8 ambassador, nutritional therapist. He's coached many world-class athletes and currently works with a long list of current UFC stars. I'm excited to dive into this one. He's a good friend of mine. Sean, it's good to have you on, bro. How you doing? Mate, I'm good. How am I supposed to how am I supposed to step up to those standards, bro? Oh, mate, <laughs> I, was I, was intro. <laughs> I was I was nervous just reading the intro. I had to get it right. <laughs> no, nah, man, yeah. hey, I really really appreciate your time and I'm really interested to chat to you. Uh, like, obviously, we met uh, in Phuket through training, and uh, I was always really impressed with your professionalism and the way that you went about things. I didn't know too much about your background, probably, until I got back to New Zealand. Um, and obviously, I followed you online, and we've, you know, we've become friends over that time. But there's so much to your story that I'm interested to dive into. And I think in the current circumstances with COVID-19, the way the world is, you know, half the world or more is in lockdown. People are struggling. There's a lot of stress and anxiety. I think your mindset, skill set, a lot of your experience is going to be very valuable for people, man. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. I honestly think that there's going to be, you know, um, anxiety and depression were already on the rise over the last 10 to 15 years or so. Uh, and I think that that's only going to explode in the next couple of months when, you know, you got to think, man, you know, how many people... Uh, have no purpose outside of work. Once they lose their work, then they've got nothing else to do. Like they they lose their their purpose, their drive, their self identity. You know, like this is where people need to have a look at their values and and start to start thinking about and have an honest conversation about what they actually find valuable. Hey, I couldn't agree with you more. That's really, I haven't actually thought about that purpose outside of work during this particular time. But that's a fascinating point because you're you're exactly right. I've <clears throat> spoken to people on both sides of that equation like in the last couple of weeks I've had people who have had to pivot their businesses and are more busy than ever trying to you know find a new angle to take online and they're like thriving even though things are stressful they've got so much purpose throughout their day and then on the opposite side of that I know people who are sitting around and are like all right so it's two o'clock what are we having for dinner <laughs> you know and, yeah, and people are, people are struggling when they've got nothing to do yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, mate, we were just talking about the mindset book that you've got sitting next to you. Um, I've read that book a couple of times. It's a brilliant, it's a brilliant book. 
uh, and it goes into the difference between a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. And I think that pretty much sums up, you know, where people are at right now. You're either thriving or you're surviving. 100%. Let's talk about that because I'm halfway through reading this currently and so far it's, it's already like growth mindset is something that I understood. I think it's something, it's a concept that people understand, but it's harder to actually embody. And I think a lot of the time, even in my own experience in the past, I have wanted to have a growth mindset. And when thing, when challenges have been thrown at me, I know that it, I know how I should react to it, but I still haven't truly appreciated what's going on in the moment. I think with it's been fascinating to look at business owners in particular over the, the last couple of weeks. One thing that I've seen that's just completely hamstrung people is that when people think that their skill set is their skill set, and their current situation is their current situation, man, they've lost all hope already. Whereas someone else out there is looking at it and going, all right, I need to learn these skills. I need to do this. There's opportunity here. I don't know how to do that yet, but I'm going to go and take that on. And so that's what you're saying, right? It's like that mindset's hugely important at the moment. Yeah, definitely, man. And again, it goes back to what I was saying before about identifying what your values are and having an honest, honest conversation with the person in the mirror and going, right, what, what do you actually value right now? And for every, every person, it's going to be different. You know, for me, um, my values right now are maintaining uh, health and uh, maintaining a strong immune system. So I'm doing everything that I can to maintain that. And that, that's, you know, those values are going to then determine the, the structure and the routine that I put throughout my day. Um, so I'll literally get up in the morning and I'll, I'll go through my morning routine and I'll schedule in the things that are important to me. Um, so for me, you know, like I said, my values are maintaining a strong and healthy immune system. So I'm making sure I'm eating good food. Um, I'm doing some meditation. I'm getting some exercise in, but also growth and development is very important to me. So um, I'm also working on a podcast at the moment. So I schedule in some time to do that, create some content. Um, I've got a YouTube channel, which I'm creating content for. Uh, I'm also doing a podcast course. I, I just don't know anything about podcasting. So I'm figuring shit out as I go, but you know, I'm putting one foot in front of the other and I'm just, just cracking on, man, just getting it done. Uh, learning the podcast tools along the way. And I'm also diving back into uh, my, my coaching philosophy and uh, training philosophy and, and doing a course on anatomy and physiology. So, you know, I've got a lot of things going on that, I mean, at the end of the day, once I get out of, once this, these restrictions are lifted and we go back to normal life, so to speak, then, you know, I've upskilled and I've used the time wisely to add to my current skill set. Yeah, something that really stood out for me, we were exchanging messages a couple of weeks ago and you said, um, you're either going to come out of this better with uh, you know, a new skill set, a better body, or you're going to come out of this in a worse situation. And uh, that was, I had the same thinking at the time, but I was like, it was so refreshing to hear someone say that because a lot of people were in panic mode and, and I was like, you know what, this is such a fantastic time to double down. We're both launching a podcast during this time, which is ironic. <laughs> um, been reading and doing stuff. Uh, how much is your daily routine, Jay? You're a man of routine anyway. I noticed that when we were in Thailand and we got to, got to see you. You're very uh, strict with yourself. You're very disciplined. That, I take it that comes from the military, but how different is daily life for you at the moment anyway? You're a pretty routine guy. To be honest, mate, it's not too much different um, other than I don't really have to leave the house and go to work. <laughs> and this is the thing. This is, this, is, uh, this is where the people that are going to thrive and you know, get through this the best are those that had that structure and that routine in that life in their life, and they had that structure and purpose, and you know, they knew what their self identity was, and they they knew what brought them value and made them a better person. So, 
Um, you know, if you don't have those things in your life and then all of a sudden you lose your job and you're stuck at home, you can't see all your friends and your family, then, you know, like I said, that's, that's a massive hit to, uh, your ego, your personality and who you are as a person. So, you know, I think the people that will struggle to get through this are those that, that haven't changed gears, that haven't changed direction and, uh, had a look at what their values and purpose are and, and put the processes in place to allow them to be the best person. How grateful are you for the lessons that you learned during your time in the military at the moment? Because you guys faced adversity every day, faced fear and uncertainty all the time, um, and a lot of self-isolation and, and time on your own anyway. So surely a lot of those lessons that are quite natural to you now and those mindsets and ways of thinking uh, are paying off in a big way. Yeah, absolutely, mate. I think the overarching concept there is uh, to to realize what you can control and what you can't control. You know, and if you're focusing on the things that you can't control, then you're going to put yourself in a bad headspace. You know, so you can only you can only focus on you and what's within your control. So this is where again, looking at your values and 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 identifying those processes that need to be put into place so that you can be your best. Uh, you know, when we were, I would go out, <laughs> I would go out bush for you know, two months at a time on uh, pre-deployment exercises and things like that. And, you know, we'd be living in the dirt, we'd be patrolling every day, we'd be eating rations, we'd only have one shower, you know, every month or something like that. And, you know, long nights of uh, no sleep and, you know, just running on fumes, man. So, yeah, I've been in some pretty shitty situations. Uh, so, it, it's, it's, it's definitely set me up for getting through this. Uh, I will say, however, uh, a lot of the the feelings and uh you know what people are going through at the moment are a lot of the same things that veterans have actually faced once they got out of the military they lose their self-identity they lose their purpose you know they have no drive no direction and i mean it was i got out of the army in 2012 and i kind of floated around for a little bit and i stopped getting out of bed in the morning when uh, you know when the when the alarm went off i stopped shaving uh, i stopped exercising i stopped doing things the standard operating procedures that uh, and the habits and the routines that I built over those years that have made me such a good soldier and, you know, I end up floating through life for a little bit and I kind of lost my way and I was like, fuck, who am I? What am, what am I, what am I bringing to the world? What am I, what am I contributing to society? You know, and once I realized that I started, um, repurposing those standard operating procedures and restructuring them to allow me to, you know, focus on the things that were important to me that did allow me to be the best person. So many lessons there, man. Yeah, that's fascinating. Was there any particular, um, like for isolation, for like for times when we've got more time on our hands than what we used to, obviously mind control, like you said, is a big part of it and, and controlling what you can control. But control, saying control your mind and control your thoughts is easy. <laughs> it's hard to do in practice. Do you have any tips for people uh, that you picked up during your time there or that you've, you've learned along the way for doing that? Uh, great observation firstly mate um, at the end of the day it comes down to conditioning like I said we were operating on standard operating procedures in the army so it didn't matter you know I'd have my uh, before I went snipers we were working in um, 10 man sections so within a section we'd have standard operating procedures if this happens we do that if that happens we do this like everyone knew what the drills were right across the board for every single scenario that came up you know so it didn't matter if I moved um, platoons or moved sections or we got a new guy into the section. Everyone knew what the standard operating procedure was and that was, that was our habits, that was our drills, that was our routines. And, you know, that's what 
allowed us to follow our drills, follow our instincts and our training once the shit hit the fan, you know? So I think it really comes down to creating your environment. You, you're a product of your environment, but you also create your environment. Yeah. Powerful. You know? So, yeah. So you, you, you gotta, you gotta structure in the things that are important to you. And then you've got to be disciplined enough to do that. You just got to condition yourself to do that. An example of this is for me, um, I'm not sure if you're the, you're the same man, but I've spoken to a lot of people who, you know, come from a military background or an athletic background that just want to get after it every single time they train. Yeah. So uh, for me, it takes me more discipline to not train yeah, when I'm run down, when I'm tired, when I'm fucked, you know? So um, it's just identifying uh, your strengths and your weaknesses and then working within, within them and progressive overloads, a big one as well. You know, another example is when people want to make some changes, they want to lose some weight, they want to build some muscle, improve athletic performance or whatever. They throw everything in at once. You know, that's not the way to do it. That's not sustainable, man. At the end of the day, it's all about uh, consistency, consistency over the long term rather than short term intensity. Yeah, awesome. That's powerful stuff, man. I it's funny because talking about the exercise side of things, uh, I mean, I've I've always trained. I mean, don't get me wrong. You train for your physical appearance and you train to be fit and healthy. But the major component of my training since I was a teenager has always been for mental health. Um, I've always used it as a tool to strengthen myself daily. Like I like getting up and training and doing something hard and and knowing that I've done something hard and that I've pushed myself. And I find that sets me up. You know, I've also got through a lot of the adversities in my life, uh, you know, whether it's business failures or losing friends, um, you know, fam- sick family members, whatever it is, by training my way through it. Uh, and I found myself having to hold back from training <laughs> at the moment in isolation, number one, from boredom. But number two, it's just so good to reset the mind. Um, talk to me about the mental side of training for you. Is that the same for you? I take, I know that you, this is your passion and this is your obsession, but how much of it for you is about setting yourself up mentally? Uh, mate, that was a brilliant reflection and I absolutely agree. And, and one of the things that I, I want to make a point about is what you said about, you know, f- for you training is uh, building that mental capacity and you're essentially conditioning yourself. If you think about the world that we live in these days, uh, you, we have everything at the touch of our fingertips. You know, we live in these, um, live in these homes with regulated temperatures and we've got all the clothes to deal with whatever the temperature is outside and we've got you know, fucking heated seats in our cars and shit like that. So people just don't know how to be uncomfortable these days. You know, we've, we, we've evolved and we've, our generation has grown up being comfortable. People just don't know how to be uncomfortable now. And people don't know how to be with their own thoughts. They don't know how to sit by themselves and not have technology and be distracted by all this other shit that's going on in their lives. So for me, in this day and age, man, training is one of those, one of those things that you can really take advantage of and condition yourself uh, to that adversity and build that mental toughness and that that physical fitness and um, you know push yourself to your limits and see what you're capable of. Hundred percent. Yeah, that, that it's fun. it is funny because I think it'll be interesting to see when we like you say go back to normal life um, after all of this, whatever that looks like. Uh, it will be interesting to see whether there is a big shift in values and you know the way that people go about things because I've been looking at the people that have been through the most adversity are the people that are thriving right now in my experience. Yeah. Yep. The people that have dealt with tough times and then, cause I've seen people that are in really shitty situations at the moment who are thriving and I've seen people uh, who 
have millions of dollars in the bank and very little to worry about who are panicked and stressed. Uh, that's um, that mindset, bro. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. It goes, it goes back to that mindset, man. And that's the thing. Once you condition yourself, that growth mindset is about, right, I'm going to adapt and overcome to whatever the fuck the situation is. You know, that fixed mindset is I'm this person. I am a CEO of, you know, a big company and I've got millions of dollars in the bank. But once I lose that, what else have I got? Yeah, actually, that's a great point. You've read the book. This is something that you know more about than me. For people out there listening now who come across this, who feel like they are in that fixed mindset, what are some steps that they can take to shift towards a growth mindset? Uh, I think the first point would be, again, going back to having a look at the person in the mirror and, and asking yourself some hard questions. Who am I? What do I want to achieve? You know, set some goals. And then you got to put the processes in place, you know? So, um, and, and, and again, one step at a time, you don't have to do everything at once, but just choose one thing that you want to work on. It might be growth. It might be development. It might be, um, you know, shifting direction, uh, taking your business in a different direction. Uh, it might be spending more time with family for every single person. Their values are going to be different. And, you know, we look at all of the different components of life, man. You've got your, um, your relationships, social and, um, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> romantic, social and romantic. Yeah. Uh, then you've got finances, uh, you've got your growth, your development, uh, your career, uh, physical fitness, mental health. You know, there's so many different aspects of life. So you need to have a look at what those things are and what's the most important to you and then start investing time and energy into it. That might be something as simple as reading books listening to podcasts, doing some online courses, um, whatever it is, but you've just got to put one foot in front of the other and, and start moving, man. Here's the thing. Like so many people are stuck because they, they don't know which direction to go. We live in this world of information where all the fucking information that we have is at our fingertips, but there's so much information. It's paralysis by analysis. People don't know where to go, you know? So the people that are, the people that are thriving are those that figure shit out on the way. You know, you go like, like us, man, we're, we're starting this podcast. I don't know shit about a podcast, but I just bought all the equipment when I was uh, at home on a recent trip. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to start playing around with this. I'm just going to start recording some content. I'll start practicing my craft. It might be shit to start with. And it is shit. <laughs> I was listening to some stuff last night and I was like, oh, that's rubbish. I need to redo that. And I was like, no, fuck that. Leave it, man. That was, that was who you are at that time. Leave it in there. That's, that's authentic. That's the truth, you know? So, um, yeah, figure out the direction that you want to be moving in and then and then choose one thing per day to do that's going to move you in the right direction. That's right, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, in saying that, talking about the podcast, we, we are doing this on the fly. I hope all this is recording and working. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think a big aspect of it as well is just understanding that the human ability to adapt is crazy. Like we can learn anything like no, like for example, take podcasting. We look at people, people get paralyzed because they look at people who are at the top of the podcasting game and they're like, Oh, he's amazing. And he knows how to do that. And I don't, but it's like that guy didn't come out of the womb knowing how to podcast in the same way that you didn't come out of the womb knowing everything you know about nutrition and training and mindset and athletic performance. And I think if I was to reflect on that, I think people just look at their current skill set and don't believe in their ability to change. I don't know whether that comes back to work ethic and just not having that commitment or they've let themselves down so much in the past and they haven't progressed in anything so they have no belief that they're going to do it. But yeah. a big, big part of it has to be just understanding that like 
nobody out there who's doing anything great was born with it. That is all developed and learnt skill. That's all growth that's over, happened over a lifetime, right? Like we said before, mate, conditioning. You've got to condition yourself. That's right, bro. I, I've conditioned myself to failing time and time and time and time again. So, you know, am I, am I nervous about putting out a podcast? Am I nervous about how people are going to perceive it? Yeah, a little bit. I'm a little bit anxious about it. But then I'm like, you know what? Fuck it, man. Like the people that are going to listen are going to listen. They're going to be my fans. If they don't want to listen, I don't really care. There's no skin off my nose. You know, at the end of the day, I'm doing something that I enjoy that I think is going to bring people a lot of value. And that's what matters, man. It doesn't matter how it's perceived. If I can only help one person, if one person messages in after I've launched and I've been running for two months, one person messages in and says, hey, thank you so much. You've helped make a massive impact in my life. Then I don't give a fuck. That's worth it. Oh, totally, man. Totally. Hey, let's go, back. Let's go all the way back because I think um, you said you're a product of your environment was one thing that you've mentioned a couple of times. I know that you've had quite a lot, quite an adverse upbringing. You've got a lot of um, stuff from when you were young, your childhood, uh, which has, you know, which, you know, you face a lot of adversity, but in, in a way that set you up to do and achieve all the things you have done. Can we rewind it all the way back to the start so that people get a, a bigger perspective and a picture of what your uh, upbringing was like and, and sort of where you've come from? Yeah, sure thing, mate. Um, so I left home when I was 14. Uh, my stepdad was abusive. I uh, came from a poor family. Uh, I was kind of getting caught up with the wrong people and going down the wrong path and I was stealing and doing drugs and shit like that. So I realized that, you know, I had to get out and had to forge my own path. Otherwise, I was basically just going to, you know, turn into my stepdad. Uh, so I left home at 14, moved to Darwin, uh, stayed up there for a couple of years was laboring for a couple of years my mates or the guys that i knew were going to school and i was you know going and slinging fucking concrete bags and driving forklifts and shit i actually got my forklift license before i got my car license it'd be crazy i don't even know how how that's how that's legal but <laughs> whatever <laughs> um so yeah i stayed in darwin for a couple of years uh i was actually working at the rugby as a caterer i was serving hot dogs and fucking chico rolls and stuff Hey, can I swear? Is that all right? Yeah, go for gold, man. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, if you cut that out, man, that limits, limits my vocabulary. Um, so anyway, I was working as a caterer at the rugby and I just went up to a, a random dude and I was like, hey, mate, what, what game is this? Because I grew up playing rugby league. And he goes, oh, this is rugby union. Bring your boots down tomorrow. I was like, I don't have any boots. He goes, well, bring your runners, whatever you've got. So I rolled in uh, the next day and had some games and yeah, had a lot of fun. And then uh, within six months, I was representing Northern Territory uh, in in the schoolboys competition and then uh the following year got selected in the combined states team which was the best players of uh, northern territory western australia south australia victoria and tasmania so i went to sydney uh played in schoolboys competition down there against sydney uh sorry against new south wales queensland act uh got picked up by a scout offered a scholarship in sydney went there for a couple of years um got offered a gig and a small contract to stay there once I went from Colts to seniors. Uh, but I had a couple of injuries and decided I, was, I actually wanted to go and join the army, which is what I was going to do before I got the, the, the contract in Sydney. So, um, so yeah, I left Sydney, moved back to Darwin, uh, joined the army with one of my best mates. We didn't know how long that was going to take. So I lived with him and we worked together and trained together and rode mot motorbikes together, went out on the piss together, you know. I uh, had a heap of fun. Uh, and then like two months later, uh, we both got in the army. I think I got in maybe two or three weeks before him, went through to Kapuka, did my basic recruit training, uh, sent to Singleton in a holding platoon for about five to six weeks, and then got sent to Darwin. 
Uh, we had a three month course up there, which was super intensive. Uh, we just got absolutely hammered. Um, and then after that, we marched out and were told that we were deploying to Iraq within seven to eight months. So started ramping up training for that. Uh, went to Iraq for six months, got back, was only back for about nine months, I think, and then went to East Timor for eight months. Uh, and then about a year, maybe 15 months after that, I went to Afghanistan, uh, discharged from the army 2012, met a girl, moved down to Tasmania with her. We were together five years, awesome chick, um, had a great time there, but our, you know, we're going in different directions. We had different values at the time. So I had to, you know, have an adult conversation about that and discuss where we're both going. And I decided that I wanted to move over to Thailand and, and, you know, put myself in a position to take any opportunities that present themselves. If something did come up, I came over as an intern, uh, where I basically worked for two months. Uh, I had a two month contract after a month, they offered me a full-time job and then, uh, five to six months later I got the head coaching gig and I've been here ever since so yeah that's, oh, that's it really? in a nutshell mate <laughs> that was epic <laughs> going back going back to the early like I'm, I'm fascinated in the early stages um I know I've seen you put up stuff saying you know like some of the time you were living in a tent with your family stuff like that like you know couldn't afford the trainers like you know some coming from a decent state of poverty from what it sounded like how much of how much of your drive and ambition was forged early yeah i think that's a it's, it's a great question but it's also difficult to answer because there were times when you know maybe i wasn't that fixed mindset where i was like well i've got nothing going on in my life and i'm fucking never going to escape this so you know i'm i'm stuck now so i may as well just crack on and and go hard and steal shit and do drugs and you know, whatever. Uh, but then, then I realized that I, I was going down the wrong path and that's something that I didn't want to do. And I wanted to, basically, I wanted to become the, the man that my stepdad wasn't, you know, because I, was I was following in his footsteps and uh, I was like, right, I can either take this as a role model um, for good or a role model for bad. And I decided that, you know, all the things that he stood for and who he was and uh, things like that, those weren't going to be, part of my traits you know powerful, so man. yeah so i had to get out and i had to go and i had to figure shit out on the way man i, I lived in tent for about six months um my family lived uh in a in a small town in uh southeast queensland and my stepdad and i moved to this property of 30 acres that didn't have anything on it there was no um nothing it was just trees man so we moved there uh lived in a tent for about six months as we uh laid the foundation um you know put up uh put up posts and built walls and put a roof on and things like that and then the rest of the family moved up so we didn't have any any electricity or running water for six years of, of my life um from eight wow. until from seven until 13 or something like that so yeah so that that was the sort of stuff that kind of set me up for moving forward it, it put me in a good position to excel in the in the army and then also you know, that also set me up and built the foundation for then excelling once I got out of the army as well. Are you grateful for that then? And in that case, when you look back on it now, do you, is that something that you like have a lot of gratitude for that hardship? Definitely, man. Yeah. I, I mean, I hated it at the time. Uh, I would get teased and bullied at school for being a blocky. You know, we, like I said, we didn't have any running water for, you know, six years of our life. So, you know, we wouldn't actually fucking bathe every day. We didn't have a shower or anything like that. We had a bathtub that we'd, we'd set up on some, uh, some rocks and, 
you know, we'd light a fire under it <laughs> to, to, to warm the water up and the whole family would roll through like every three days or something and like bathe in the same water and things like that. So, you know, I'd get teased for that sort of stuff at school and I, I hated it at the time. Um, never had any money to, you know, go to birthday parties and, and things like that. But man, I look back and I really appreciate that now um, because I have built the person that I am, the lifestyle that I have uh, coming from those times. And that's, it's really given me an appreciation for everything that I do have. When, when you said that you um, decided that you weren't going to be, weren't going to follow in your stepfather's or your father's footsteps, was there a pivotal moment where you were like, hang on a minute, or, or was that a series of events? Is there anything that stood out to you? Like, was there a certain event where you should just sit there when you just had enough and you're like, whoa, I've got to sort this out? Or was that something that just gradually happened and you just sort of slowly went in a different direction? Um, there was a pivotal moment, but there was a lot of things that built up to that pivotal moment. So that pivotal moment was like the last straw. Uh, so basically we'd like I said, my stepdad was abusive. He, um, he hit me, hit my mom, threatened to kill her and cut her up into little pieces and things like that. He was a fucking piece of work, man. But anyway, um, I was 14, 13, 14. We just moved from that property in Tara and we moved up to a place called Collinsville in North Queensland. Um, and I'd been there. We'd only been there for about a year. Uh, I had a good start in the place. You know, we pretty much rolled in and had the athletics carnival and things like that. So I ended up becoming age champion there and made a heap of friends and had a completely different change to my, uh, you know, my previous uh, friendships and circle. Um, so I was, I was kind of a popular kid there. Uh, and then, you know, kind of didn't get caught up with the wrong people, but was associated with some of those people. And one day the police came around and knocked on, on the door and um, my stepdad came out the back and was like, fucking cops are here. What have you done? Um, and I'm like, I haven't done anything. So I've walked out the front, had, had a chat to the cops and they basically accused me of breaking into you know, the golf club or something like that and stealing a heap of shit. And I was like, I haven't done anything. Um, anyway, the cops left and I said, look, you can, we can, you can take my fingerprints and you can dust and do whatever. I was like, I wasn't there. It was not me. Uh, anyway, they left and my stepdad beat the shit out of me because um, he didn't believe me. And I was like, and I was fucking bawling my eyes out. And I was like, I'm going to go to the police. And he's like, you fucking go to the police. I'll kill you. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of the pivotal moment, man. And I was uh, within probably two months, I was, I was gone. All right, man. That is crazy. It's hard for a lot of people to comprehend. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's it's amazing. As I can I can see the connection now, like between how far you've come and all your achievements and your mindset and your determination and stuff. But that that's quite a story. Let's go to the military. I don't, I don't, I don't think I've actually told that story before. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, thank you. <laughs> no, I mean, there's, there's, this is the stuff that we need to get out in these kind of conversations, man. I mean, people, oh, mate. Yeah, people I, put I out, agree, man. People talk far too much about all the good stuff. And I mean, I'm guilty of it as well. And with Instagram and everything else going on, we all talk about all the good stuff and don't talk about the bad stuff. But I personally, I'm getting to the point where I realize that there's more power in the bad stuff or as much power and positivity in the bad stuff if you can harness it in the right way. And uh, I think the more we share that type of information, it, not only does it help people who are currently going through it right now go, oh, well, he, he got out of that situation and did that, I can do that too. But it, it's just hopefully creates an environment where we start talking about that type of shit a bit more. 100% man. 
No, I'm, abso- I'm absolutely happy to talk about this stuff. Um, I mean, that's something that's probably made me a little bit different to a lot of people on the social media um, platforms is that I do talk about this shit, man. I do talk about my life and, um, you know, some people, some people enjoy it uh, and get a lot out of it and some people are like, oh, he's just looking for sympathy. I don't give a fuck, man. I'm just sharing this stuff with the people that it's going to help. You know, I'm not doing it for sympathy, man. I mean, I've got no, you know, I don't have any issues with, um, with sharing my story with other people if it's going to help them. Yeah. I've seen you. I mean, a lot of your posts have stopped me in the tracks, man, and I've read them and they're good. They, I'm sure that if you're going through that right now, there's nothing more helpful than seeing that from someone who's gone on to create something of themselves. So let's, let's go into the military, bro. Like, um, military stories and books and podcasts and stuff fascinate me because it's kind of the ultimate alpha scenario um you're in a situation where you're literally trying to train to become a beast you're going into battle literally uh the mind's the mind is everything uh there's super high levels of expectation and discipline um and you have to show up with courage and you know you're forged into a, a pretty special or unique type of character what are the greatest lessons that you took out of the military? What are the hardest times and what are the biggest lessons that have set you up from military life? Biggest lesson is don't take anything for granted. It can all end in an instant. doesn't matter where you are, man. doesn't matter what you're doing. You could be walking across a road and, you know, get hit by a bus. Or if you're a little bit older, you might, have a heart attack. One of my one of my uh, old footy coaches actually just had a heart attack and died recently. He wasn't too old, man, um, and nobody saw it coming. He was a healthy guy, lived a really healthy life, and um, just killed over. And that was it, man. Um, so that's probably one of the biggest lessons. Um, it's it's an interesting situation to be in in the army. Uh, it's it's how I kind of explain it to people about the bond that's created with the guys that you're with is that you're like how many jobs do you how many jobs have you had where your workmates are your best mates you live together you you go out bush together you work together you go to the gym and train together you go out and get on the piss together you know you try and seduce girls together (laughs) (laughs) you know um and you go on like a nine month deployment to Afghanistan and you're living with these guys every single day and you know the most intimate details about them. But then you get back from that deployment and you go out and get on the piss together. You hang out with them, go and have barbecues and beers on the balcony, man. You know, you go through the highest of highs and the lowest of lows together. You know, what other, what other person in your life can you say that you've shared that experience with? Yeah, very few, man. Very few. What was the first deployment like? I mean, going in and doing the training must have been initial training must have been hard and I'm sure you get pushed and challenged and stuff. But the moment that you're told that you're flying into a war zone, talk to me about that. Uh, first deployment was Iraq in 2007. Uh, like I said, I joined the army 2006 in March. I uh, went through my initial recruit training for three months and then was in holding platoon for about a month and a half and then went through IET's initial employment training for about three months as well so I had probably close to seven and a half to eight months going through that training as soon as we marched out uh, of our training and into the battalion we got word that we we're going to Iraq so uh, a lot of our section commanders our 
the dudes that were in control of our sections, our platoons, they'd already been to Iraq. They'd already had a deployment there. So they knew what it was all about and what it was like. So they pretty much took charge and um, shaped the training that we went through for the next, well, it would have been seven or eight months before we went to Iraq, um, which I'm really grateful for and I really appreciate uh, because they'd been on the ground. They knew what the, they, you know, they'd, they'd gone through the, their SOPs and they'd um, gone through after action reviews and discussed what worked and what didn't work. And then they passed those lessons on to us when we went over. So uh, I was really grateful for that opportunity to be able to work under those guys as my leaders and, and, and as my mentors. Um, but I think another thing was the, another thing that came into play was the mindset of people. You could tell with different people, they had different mindsets. Um, and for some people it was, I don't know if they realized that they were going into a war zone and they didn't have the correct mental preparation. Uh, and you know, a lot of the times these are the same people that have struggled with some anxiety and depression and things like that over the years is because, you know, shit happened on deployments that you weren't, you can't be ready for. But at the end of the day, like maybe they didn't set themselves up correctly mentally and physically before they went on deployments, you know, um, I know before I went to Afghanistan, for example, I sat down with my four-man sniper team, the other three guys, and we had a really long discussion about what was going to happen. You know, we need to be prepared for anything. We, our job, you know, we could potentially pull the trigger. You know, we could potentially be, you know, dragging our mates into cover who have been shot or been killed or lost a leg from an IED or whatever. So, you know, we had that conversation. It was honest. It was open. It was raw. And that put us in the right mindset to basically say, well, at the end of the day, I prefer not to do my job and pull the trigger if I can bring all you boys home safe. And unfortunately, that didn't happen. Um, you know, two of my boys in my four-man sniper team got shot. Uh, we did pull the trigger. We did patch dudes up. Uh, we had guys that, you know, were killed, unfortunately, and a lot more that were injured and things like that. Um, but, you know, we had to set that mindset before we went over there. Otherwise, it was... It, it, you know, going over there and hoping for the best was not a really good strategy. So, um, yeah, hopefully that, that tied everything in for you. 100%, man. Was that, in that, that circumstance that you were talking about there where a couple of guys got killed, was that when you, um, was that the situation where you were given the uh, commendation for gallantry? Uh, I was awarded that. So let me tell you a little bit of a story about that. Um, so we'd been in country for only two weeks and we were just doing the handover with six RAR. They were there before us. Uh, so we had a couple of partner patrols where they took us out and they showed us the grounds and, you know, where all the dodgy areas were and, you know, where all the good people were and um, key areas of interest and things like that. And uh, once they put, once they got on the Chinook to fly out, uh, we went out on our first partner, uh, on our first um, solo patrol. And uh, yeah, our sniper team got ambushed. My um, team leader was hit. I uh, had to return fire, um, drag him into cover, follow through, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that was one time. That was two weeks after we got into country. Uh, and then the second time was my uh, stand-in team leader was shot as well a couple of months later. So um, basically had to, same thing, just had to return fire, drag him to cover, um, apply a tourniquet, patch him up, put him on a helicopter. Um, so I was nominated for the accommodation for gallantry for those two situations in particular. Um, but when I got back from Afghanistan, I'd actually been in contact with one of our OCs, one of the, um, 
one of the guys that were higher up the chain of command and he was a big rugby head and he, he was part of the rugby mafia. And he was like, dude, you need to get in contact with this guy here. He's the coach of the Australian Defence Force team, blah, 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 blah. Um, so I got in contact with him and there was a trial match when I got back from Afghanistan down in Canberra. So while the other boys were going out and getting on the piss and, you know, spending all their deployment money and having fun and, you know, having a month or two off, um, you know, I, yeah, I had some time off, but I really got stuck into footy training, got into the gym and, you know, wanted to make the Australian Defence Force rugby team. So I really committed to that. Um, flew down to Canberra, had a trial match, had a, had a bit of a blinder, um, got selected for the team and then went away for two months to uh, Sydney, Canberra, uh, and then over to New Zealand to play in the Defence Force Rugby World Cup. Um, but when I got back from that, uh, once I got back from that trip, I had a uh, letter in the mail saying, you've been nominated for the Commendation of Gallantry. Can you please uh, reply to us whether you accept or not by this time? And that date had already passed because I'd been away for two months. <laughs> so anyway, I called my mates up and I was like, hey, boys, I'm just letting you know that I've been nominated for this. Uh, I don't agree with it. I'm not going to accept it, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, why would you not accept it? I'm like, well, it was a team effort. You know, I didn't fucking do anything special. Um, I didn't do anything that you boys didn't do. I was just Johnny on the spot and I had to, I had to do my job, man. I had to let my training take over and do what had to be done in those circumstances. And they're like, fair call, accepted on behalf of all of us. And I was like, hmm, okay, yeah, fair enough. So anyway, I ended up um, getting in contact with um, Government House and, and asking them what the deal was and if, if I could still accept the, the award. And they said, yeah, no worries. Um, so I had a big uh, investiture at Government House in Darwin and was awarded the commendation for gallantry on behalf of Governor's, Governor General of Australia. So, yeah, one of, uh, one of the prouder days of my life. I bet, man. I bet. I did some research on it uh, before I jumped on with you. And I think the last one that was awarded was 2015. So they're not just given out. <laughs> we- I actually didn't know those numbers that you said before. You, you said there was only 68 awarded in Australia. I was like, Six, oh. 68 awarded in Australia and 20 of those were given at one time to uh, prisoners of war. So there you go. Oh, wow. Pretty cool, man. It's amazing. Going back to when you're talking, like you talk so casually about it and, you know, there was fire and we we were hurt and just had to drag him out, chuck him in a helicopter. (laughs) As if it's it's like, it's just what happened, bro. It's just what happened. It's just what happened. Do you, is there fear in those moments? Uh, Do you have time to process anything or is it so automatic by that point? Uh, A little bit of both. Uh, I've done a post uh, I've shared a post a few times about uh, the mindset that I had to have going out on patrol. Um, I mean, when when the shit hits the fan, then it's instinct, man. That's when your training kicks in. And I'm so grateful for, you know, being fucking smashed on the basics over and over and over again, over again by my teammates and, you know, my, my colleagues and my, um, my commanders and uh, things like that. Because at the end of the day, like the basics save lives. Um, but you know, that was in the heat of the moment. That's when the the instinct takes over and the training takes over. But there are obviously a lot of times where we're out on patrol and, you know, your mind would start playing tricks on you. Your mind was running free. And, you know, there were times where we would be, I could feel us getting channeled into certain areas where the Taliban would in place IEDs that were looking to, you know, fucking take our legs off or, or kill us from a distance without them actually getting involved in a firefight. So um, there was a lot of circum, a lot of, a lot of times where I'd be patrolling along and I was the point man for my sniper team and I'd be patrolling along and I could see the, the, um, the terrain in front of me that was channeling us towards a certain point. And I was like, Whoa, 
I'd be putting something there if I was if I was a bad dude. So you know, I'd have to choose an appropriate route that would that would negate that threat. And uh, you know, my worst fear was not that I would make a mistake and fucking step on IED and lose my legs or my life. It was that I'd make a mistake and the bloke behind me would take the the brunt of the explosion or take a round in the chest or something like that. So that was always in the back of my mind, man. Um, but again, you can only control what's within your control. And, and that was my job was to select an appropriate route that was going to negate those very real threats. Have you, and it, was, it, was, have you, it was in my, it was always in the back of my mind that, you know, this could be my last step on two legs or I might be taking my last breaths. And that was something that I had to deal with on a daily basis. And to be honest, man, it fucking ruined me for the first couple of weeks. Like I couldn't sleep. Um, you know, I, I was, I was, I was struggling. The fear was real. The anxiety was real. Uh, I didn't know, you know, where the next threat was coming from or what it was going to look like. So, you know, I had to manage my mind and that literally started with um, doing some breath work and what I now know is meditation, but I didn't know what it was back then. I was like, man, I'm, I'm fucking not sleeping. I'm waking up tired. Um, I'm just, I'm just foggy. I'm not feeling sharp and you know, I'm, I'm a liability. That's just going to increase my, um, my chances of actually making those same mistakes that I was worried about making. So I was like, what can I do? And I didn't know anything else. And I was like, right, just focus on your breathing. So every night I'd go to bed, I'd literally just sit there and like take a deep breath in long breath out one. And I would do that until I fell asleep. Some nights it was easier than others. Uh, other nights it was very difficult, but you know, over a couple of days of doing that and building that habit and conditioning myself to do that, then, you know, my mind started settling down and I started getting to sleep and I was having, I actually started having restful sleeps and I was waking up, you know, feeling refreshed and feeling sharp and going, all right, let's fucking go. Let's go out and let's, let's get this, you know? So it was funny, man, because, um, one of my mates, one of my mates joined the, was in the army as well. And once he got out, he had a, a few issues with anxiety and depression, things like that. And he ended up doing yin yoga to help him um, get through that PTSD and use it as an alternate therapy to, to drugs and medicine. And uh, he's now become a yoga teacher. Um, and it was, wasn't until years and years later when I was telling him that story, he paused me mid-sentence and he goes, dude, you've been meditating for years. You just didn't know it. <laughs> so it's crazy man like I, I i so now i implement like a little bit of meditation um into my day and it's one of those things you look at people say meditation it's like oh it's this fucking woo woo shit dude at the end of the day like meditation is literally just switch off to the external focus on the internal you know our minds are constantly running free what if and what about that and fucking all of these crazy scenarios that may or may not happen that adds stress you know, a of stress and that's what creates anxiety and depression, you know? So, um, just doing a little bit of breath work, mindfulness, meditation, fucking call it whatever you want, man. Like I've found that so beneficial and I notice the difference when I don't do it and that meditation or mindfulness, breath work, whatever could literally be just walking down to the beach and, and sitting there with your toes in the sand and the sun on your face and, you know, the wind in your hair, listening to the waves roll in doesn't matter what it is man i do the same thing when i go scuba diving it's very therapeutic for me you know i'm literally just 30 meters underwater just breathing through a tube and i can't focus on anything else because then you know i can't can't impact my buoyancy oh mate i can't i can't agree more like meditation is not woo woo it's some some yoda shit really it's (laughs) it's like even over the last couple of weeks it's something that i've i go in and out of like i go through phases of it i do um try and do 
try and do it as regularly as I can. But even when I'm not meditating as, as such, I'll do things like the 666 exercise. So six second breath in, six second hold, six second breath out. Um, over the, well, since I was in Thailand, actually, I got really into Wim Hof uh, and find that that's just like tremendous uh, for any anxiety or anything that comes on. Like if, if I feel myself starting to get anxious and my mind's, mind's running, I'll usually just go straight to the Wim Hof breathing and, you know, three or four minutes, maybe chuck a few press-ups in and I've got a completely new state. Yeah, absolutely, man. And that's just, like you said, that's just changing that state. It's just being aware of what state you're in and then going, all right, this is not where I want to be. That's where I want to be over there. How am I going to get there? And then the tools, doesn't matter what the tool is. You know, you could use some Wim Hof breathing. I might use some box breathing. Um, someone else might literally just just put on some meditation music or or they might even put on some fucking heavy rock or something like that. You know, and music's actually a really good way of changing your state of mind. You know, you walk into a, you walk into a gym, you know you're hitting a one rep max. You know what playlist you're putting on. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> you know, likewise, if you're going into a yin yoga class where you're focusing on stress management and recovery and um, breath work, you're not going to be listening to that same playlist. You're going to be listening to something a lot more chilled, you know. So um, I think understanding where you're at, what, where your head's at, what mind space, uh, mindset you're in, and then realizing whether uh, that's where you want to be or not what you want to be. And then going, right, this is not where I want to be. This is where I want to be. How do I get there? And then using those different tools. Yeah, that's awesome. That's so valuable for people right now. Um, I know a lot of people are probably not even aware of the, the benefit of it. I think I did, I did a Brendan Bouchard course a few, uh, probably three or four years ago now. And he just took in the physiology section. It was just a whole bunch of stuff about breathing. And it just brought my awareness back to we just don't, most people just don't breathe in general. Like everyone's going through life with really shallow breathing, never oxygenating their body. Uh, and, you know, that's where the anxiety and that comes from. And so it's, it's the most simplest thing that you can possibly do. And it's just very, really done. 100% man. You know, you, if anyone that's listening right now, if they want to test this, here's two very simple ways of testing what sort of state your breath work gets you into. Option one, hyperventilate for a minute see what happens to your heart rate see what happens to your muscles see what happens to your mindset option two breathe deeply see how long it uh, see how many breaths it's going to take you to get through that one minute and try and reduce that number of breaths to get through you might be looking at three to four to five breaths over that minute puts you in a completely different state man yeah that's fantastic how just 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 quickly um how who's been taught how to breathe Exactly. Never. Like, like I said, until I did the Brenda Bouchard high performance course, I had never, I'd never paid any attention to it. I never even thought about it. Who's, 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 who knows about nutrition? Who learns about nutrition? You could ask 10 people, random people who are like, Hey, is what's 10, give me 10 good foods and they'd be able to name them. Give me 10 bad foods. They'd be able to name them. All right. What about exercise? We learn about exercise. We learn about health. We learn about you know all of these um, other beneficial aspects, but we don't learn about breathing. We yeah. can only live four minutes without oxygen, four <laughs> days without water, forty days without food, and forty plus years without exercise. What do you think people focus on, bro? When you put it like that, that's one of the stupidest things that we, <laughs> we don't pay any attention to. That no, exactly, man. Right, there you go. If you're listening to this, you've been told, go and do your breathing. <laughs> I'm going to actually try that technique because I, 
it is it is so interesting like i just i catch myself with it now because it becomes uh, a you know mind muscle thing and as soon as i start to feel anything like that i naturally go towards it because i've sort of trained myself to do that now but man it's powerful stuff yeah, for now mate that's a good that's a good point like how did you train yourself to do that this is an important thing for people to um to, for, to take away how did you train yourself to do that yeah I, I to be honest as part of that course um the initial things was to set triggers for just reminding yourself to do it so things that you were commonly doing over the course of the day let's take that like you stand in a line uh, how many times a day on average do you stand in line it's probably at least five or ten times a day and so it was just building triggers around like every time you stand in a line, take six or 10 big deep breaths. Um, or every time you hop in the car, take five or six, 10 deep breaths, uh, deep breaths. And you do that for a week. And every time you go to stand in a line or hop in the car, you start doing stuff. It's like when you, you know, people are trying to build confidence. Well, a lot of that comes from the way that you carry yourself for a start. And, you know, if you stand up tall, pull your shoulders back, head up and walk tall, you start to feel more confident than what you did before. It's that same sort of thing. It's building those triggers, and rather than just saying, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna create this habit," and then having no system for creating the habit, it's all about having the systems in place. You want to be right, more com- be more confident every time you walk through a door frame, pull your head up, lift your shoulders back, walk with some pride, and every time you do that over the space of a week, two weeks, three weeks, all of a sudden you're walking around like a more confident person. And so for me, with the breathing, that was that was part of it. It was just creating a system to implement it into your life. Exactly, mate. There's a difference between goals and systems. A goal is where you want to get to. Your systems or your structures are the roadmap, roadmap to get you there. You know, and, and what you just said there is absolutely brilliant. Something is always better than nothing. And adding that trigger of every time I walk through a door, I'm going to stand up tall. I'm going to focus on my posture. You know, that's not taking anything out of your day. That's just implementing something into your day. You don't need an hour to meditate or to go through these processes that you know, you want to put into place that's going to allow you to be your best person, you just need to implement them into your day. You know, so my, my breath work that I do now, my, I mean, my pool and my um, sauna is closed at my place now because of this situation. But before that, um, you know, my daily, my morning routine would be to get up and go to the pool and swim. And I wasn't swimming for exercise, I was swimming for technique because I suck at swimming, you know, so I wanted to get better at, at swimming. And for me, that um, that intent of focusing on my technique really allowed me to focus on my breath because obviously if my breath was off, then my technique was off, you know, so I'd only swim six to 10 laps and then I'd get out and then I'd go and sit in the sauna and I'd, I'd sit there and I'd breathe and I'd just, I'd take, you know, somewhere between 20 to 50 breaths and then I'd have a stretch after that. So I'm not going out of my way to do this stuff. I'm simply just implementing it into my day. Yeah, that's right. And once you feel the benefits of it, you start to naturally pick up on when you need it and then you just do it without needing those cues. How how, how much do you, let's fast forward to what you do now because your big, you know, your passion and, and your work right now is around, uh, you know, training professional athletes. You're the head strength and conditioning coach at Tiger Muay Thai, which is one of the top or the top destination gym in the world and one of the top martial arts gyms in the world. You're in a very high performance environment there. And you're dealing with, uh, you know, the elite level athletes. How do, do you implement that kind of stuff with them? Breath work, mindset, like talk to me about the training and, and what you're doing for a job at the moment. Yeah, uh, I do implement that stuff. But again, it's not, um, you know, an hour session where we're just focusing on that stuff. Again, I just implement that into my training session, man. 
you know, so at the start of the session, um, like Peter Yarn's my main man. He's currently ranked uh, number three or four in the UFC bantamweight division. Um, and I've been working with him for two years now. And something that I do with him is, I mean, here's the thing, man. Like if you look at these professional athletes and, you know, military and, um, you know, high achievers, they get after everything they do, you know. So for him, he's training two to three times a day and he's hammering himself in these other training sessions. So for me, I'm thinking about balancing his autonomic nervous system. So your autonomic nervous system is the balance between your parasympathetic rest and digest and your sympathetic, which is fight or flight. You know, so the two completely um, different physiological states. Um, the sympathetic state, fight or flight, is essential for short-term survival. And the parasympathetic state is essential for long-term survival. So balancing these out is what's going to allow people to recover and then adapt from their training sessions because we don't, we don't adapt from our training. We provide the stimulus and then we need to pull ourselves into a safe space of the parasympathetic nervous system where your body can actually uh, rehydrate a lot quicker when it, when it uh, gets water. It can break down its food. The digestive system can do its thing to break down the food into its raw materials to, to provide the, the energy and the resources to all of the other systems of the body. That's when we make gains, man. So for me, my job really is people think that I hammer my clients and yes, I'm going to fucking get after it sometimes, but I need to have a look at everything else that's going on in their life. My coaching philosophy is if I'm not affecting my clients outside of that one hour training session, I'm not doing my job. Yeah. You know, so I'll get someone like Peter Yarn walk in who's, who's, you know, might be, I train him Tuesday and Thursday morning. So he might walk in on a Thursday morning and he's fucking tired, man. He's already done, you know, 10 to 12 sessions um, this week and he's got after every other session because every other coach that he's working with is pushing him smashing him into the ground you know so he walk into a session and i'll see what's going on i'll have a chat to him and i can see by his body language you said before your body language plays a big part on your mindset and vice versa so i'm watching his body language is he dragging his feet is his head down you know i'll ask him some questions and um you know fighters and these high level athletes and high achievers they won't tell you when they're tired so i'm using these i'm using these tools my balance and um stability uh warm-up drills as my assessment he doesn't need to tell me shit man his balance is fucking awesome so if i can see that he's a little bit wobbly he's all over the place then hey i know that something's going on i know he's tired his central nervous system's probably a little bit fatigued and he's in this highly driven sympathetic state right so i need to pull him back i'm going to focus on so my job's not yes my job is to um make him better but my job is to uh do enough to elicit the right response without hammering him and get into his fight injury free. Totally. You know? So that means sometimes I need to pull him back and I'm focusing more on, you know, the rest, the recovery, the mobility, um, activation work, postural, um, working on postural muscles and um, uh, joint integrity and things like that. You know, so yes, we're going to be doing some speed, power, strength, conditioning based work, but sometimes like that might be 20 minutes worth of work and the other 40 minutes is all about setting the standard and working through the mobility and working on structural integrity and activation work and all that sort of stuff, you know, and then when we go into the, the heavy hard work, then we're looking at building the mindset, but it's yeah, about right. balancing everything out, man. You've got to look at the person that's in front of you and yes, I've got a program and a structure that I follow, but I need to be super flexible with it and, you know, adjust on the fly. Yeah. It's interesting because Peter's uh, a great example because he's gone from, or has he been in the UFC 18 months, something like that. He's gone from being non-ranked, having his first fight to, you know, probably have a title shot in his next fight or 
next one or two. And uh, if his previous performances and what I've seen of him are anything to go by, he'll probably win it. Um, <laughs> He's but, a beast. Yeah, what makes him a beast? Like, I, you know, training and, and programming and stuff aside, what's different about that guy compared to some of the other athletes that you've worked with? Uh, I mean, they've all got that mindset. They've all got that, like, get in, go hard, get after it mindset. Um, so, I mean, does that make him special? Yes, but does it make him different? No. Um, what's different with him is he is an athlete. He's an all-around athlete, man. Like, he, he's the sort of dude that could probably pick up any sport and invest time, energy, and effort into it, and he's going to fucking dominate, man. Is that natural, or is that because he has focused on becoming such a well-rounded athlete? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. You know, there's obviously obviously some genetics there, um, but he has been training for a long time, and he took up boxing as a as a young child, and um, went through that path for a long time before he transitioned to MMA. So, you know, he's been in the game for a long time, and he's developed those skills and. Um, but again, you know, played a lot of different sports when he was a child and developed, you know, multiple athletic, um, capacities, yeah, right. which, which then, you know, builds a really solid foundation to then be able to, um, specialize, you know, here's the thing, man, a lot of people will go into the gym and they just want to, they see fucking, um, LeBron James doing, uh, these trick shots and all of these skills and drills and people go, sweet, I'm just going to do that. If, if that's good enough for LeBron, that's good enough for me. Well, hang on a second. The dude's been playing basketball for fucking you know, 25, 30 years, you know, he didn't just pick the ball up and start doing that shit. He built the foundation and he put in a lot of time, effort, energy and reps and consistency time after time after time after time to get to that place where he, now he can actually start doing these specific skills and drills. Yeah. That's, that's then going to take his game to the next level. That's He's got to right. have the foundation first. Yeah, 100%. And you, that's such a key point across the board, not just with not just with top-level athletes, but anyone who's going in to improve their health and fitness stuff. I've heard you talk about that before. Obviously, Tiger is an interesting split because you're dealing with a lot of professional athletes who are at the top of their game, but then you're also uh, accommodating for everyday people who are there to transform their health and, and their life. What, let's talk, now is the better time than ever for people uh, that are stuck at home, they, don't, they can't eat takeaways, they've got no distractions. If there was ever a time to be getting after your health and fitness, now is the time. And it's one of those things that people struggle to make meaningful change with. You've coached and trained thousands of people. You're very effective at what you do. For the person that's sitting at home at the moment and has been talking about their health and fitness goals, what are the steps that they should take to, to get after it and get, get some serious results and go about things in the right way? Just get started. That's the, that's the whole point, man. Just get started. Uh, like I said earlier, you don't need an hour a day to train, to dedicate to training. Okay, just implement some things into your day um, that's going to benefit you. Uh, you know, I was, on a, I was recently on a six-week trip where I went to Japan, went to Bali, went home, saw my family, and then I was on yoga course for, uh, for two weeks. We're doing 14-hour days, man. Six o'clock in the morning till fucking eight o'clock at night. They're massive days, you know. We'd get a half an hour break here and there throughout the day, and then a, like an hour's lunch break. So, um, for me, my training was literally ten minutes, two to three times a day. I'd throw a kettlebell around. I'd do some bodyweight-based movements. Um, I'd get my rings out and play around on them. Get a little bit of sunshine. That was it, man. I'd do that, you know, three times a day. There's thirty minutes, thirty to forty minutes throughout the day, and that's that's literally what it is. And you know, you can use those tools that you said before. Um, about just implementing it into your day. Every time you walk through the door, do something. Every time you open the fridge, do something. You know, we had um, 
we had a rule when I was in the army, we were, we were down the hangars, down where our officers were and where our um, personnel carriers were. And uh, there was a pull-up bar in this, um, this causeway. And every time we walked under that pull-up bar, we had to knock out five pull-ups. You know, so some days you'd be fucking knocking out 40, 50 pull-ups. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think we got really good at? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. that's funny because I remember when I was managing, managing the gym and anytime we had downtime on the floor, we used to do the same thing. We'd go and have pull-up competitions and you used yeah. to bang them out like nobody's business. Eh? And actually, St- Steph, well, she's got an office downstairs at the moment and uh, during this lockdown, every single time she's had to get up to the toilet, she'll do 50 kettlebell swings. And it's just the way that <laughs> she's just kept moving, you know? Yeah, nice, man. And that's it. That just, there's, there's, that's just implementing it into your, into your day. You know, you're not doing anything different. You're just going, Hey, when I do this, I'm going to do that. Yeah. You know, so that's, a, that's actually a really good way of doing it. But again, it comes back down to looking at what your values are and, you know, people need to understand that you need, they need to match their uh, expectations with their commitment. You know, obviously they don't have a gym to train at. They, they're not going to have a shitload of equipment at home. So they shouldn't really be looking at making gains during this time. It should be about, all right, cool. I'm going to implement some, um, some small habits that are going to add up over time and make a difference to once these restrictions are lifted, then I can, you know, then I can start looking at putting these processes in place to make some gains. That's some and of the best me, advice I've heard during lockdown about health and fitness right there. Yeah, man. It's, it's, it's not about, um, it's not about dedicating a shitload of time to it. It's about doing what you can and, and making sure that the time you are investing into it is doing something that's going to be beneficial for you. You know? So for me, as an example, you know, I probably don't spend enough time on mobility-based work. So what do you think I'm doing during this time? That's part of my morning routine. I'll get up and I'll go and have a stretch on the balcony and, and then I'll just have a stretch, man. I'll have a stretch. I'll do a little bit of mobility work and there's 10 minutes first thing in the morning. Then I'll, you know, sit down, I'll do my breath work and boom, there's the first 30 minutes of my day where I've, I've already, um, you know, done a couple of positive things to set me up for the day ahead. I'm being proactive rather than reactive. Yeah, I love that. Um, what about on the nutrition side of things, man? Like these things go hand in hand and, you know, so many people go into the gym and flog themselves and, and even from a professional athlete's point of view, man, it's, it's amazing to see how many top level athletes are not paying huge amounts of attention to the fuel that they put into their body. Um, what, what advice have you got? Like where should people start with nutrition? And, and, and I, I'm not just talking about from a weight loss perspective, just from a overall, like getting the most out of your life, feeling alive. Um, nutrition is more than just dropping a few kilos and calories in versus calories out but the whole industry just talks about basically that you know like there's been a massive narrative recently about just just uh, track your calories and you're fine but not every calorie is equal mate I cover all of this in my seven part mini series coming up on my podcast (laughs) yeah how do people get it how do people get it I'll, I'll be I'll be launching in the next couple of weeks, so I'll uh, I'll make sure I send it through to you, bro. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, good question. Um, this is probably going to sound a little bit generic, but fuck, reduce your processed foods. I mean, that's it, man. You got to think there's there's nutrition engineers out there whose job it is to make this processed food highly palatable and make you want to eat more. All right, so these foods, they've got all these chemicals in them, man. If you pick up a fucking packet of Pringles, can you tell me what every ingredient is on the back of that ingredients list? No idea. All right, how many of those chemicals are actually hijacking your hormones and making you want to eat more? That's their job, man. People are getting paid to do this shit. So at the end of the day, if you're eating real wholesome, healthy, nutritious, nutritious whole foods, 
you're going to be sweet. Where's the food come from? Has it come from the earth? Did it fly? Did it walk? Did it swim? Was it grown? That's it, man. If you pick up a fucking an apple from Woolworths, it doesn't have an ingredients list on it. It doesn't have a barcode. It's an apple. You know, so if you, it, at the end of the day, if you stick to that, you're going to be pretty sweet because our body has these regulatory mechanisms within it that tell you when you're full. If you're eating real wholesome foods, your body is going to say, all right, cool, I've had enough, right? You finish a good uh, Sunday roast and someone pulls out the ice cream, you're going to fit some more in, right? Why is that? Because it hijacks those hormones, hijacks those senses. But if someone pulls out, you know, another piece of uh, lamb, you're like, no, I'm pretty sweet. Thanks. I'm good. Yeah, yeah there's a difference, man. It's so true, man. Yeah. And obviously, the mindset's the, the next pillar. Uh, and how, because how, you're such a disciplined person, do you get frustrated training clients who don't have the same discipline when it comes to like people talking about really wanting a result? Um, obviously, it's not so much of an issue with the elite level guys, but with the, the average Joe who wants to lose weight, wants to get fit, wants to do this, but doesn't exercise the discipline needed to you know, stay away from those types of foods or to build those habits. How do you deal with that? Like, how do you deal with those people? Do you have a system for trying to get people <laughs> into that? Or like, what's your magic formula? Yeah, look, man, I used to get, I used to get frustrated um, because I was like, how, why is it so fucking hard? Why can't this person get it and just start putting these processes in place? They're telling me they want to do this but yet they're doing that and they're sabotaging their results. You know, um, that was how I used to coach, but I've grown. And now I look at it as, as a challenge. You know, now I just speak honestly, man. And again, goes back to matching expectations with commitment. If people come to me and say, hey, I sit down, have a consultation. Yeah, my goal is to lose, you know, 15 kilos. I want to put on three kilos. Uh, I want to, you know, lose whatever. 10 kilos of fat, put on five kilos of muscle, blah, 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 whatever it is. All right, cool. How committed are you to that on a scale of one to 10? I'm a 10. All right, sweet. Are you sure about that? Yeah, I'm a 10. All right. Can you eat, uh, sorry, can you sleep for eight hours per night? Uh, I can't really do that, blah, blah, blah. All right, you're a nine. Can you drink three liters of water per day? Oh, I don't really like the taste of water, blah, blah. All right, now you're an eight. You know, can you... <laughs> Can you eat five servings of vegetables a day? Oh, I don't like vegetables. My family, blah, 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 blah. All right, now you're a seven. And I just keep going through that process, man. Yeah. Until we get to a point where, for the most part, people are actually at a fucking three or a four. And I'm like, all right, you're expecting these results, but your commitment is only at a level three. So you've got to expect level three results. And how do people does that come back to just having a bigger reason why a lot of people's reason for doing it is vanity uh it's not that deep seated is does that level of uh urgency just come back to really like what it actually means to you absolutely if your why is strong enough your how doesn't matter what what is when it comes to uh, setting goals and a vision for yourself, I think that's incredibly important. I think that's something that's overlooked. People are in the motions of things all the time. Do you, how do people, you know, like what's your process for setting a vision for yourself? How do you decide where you're going and what direction you're taking? Because you're someone who's, who seems very clear 
a lot of the time. And maybe you're not, maybe you're acting when you're not clear and working stuff out and you're prepared to sort of fall over and fail, which is something that you touched on. But talk to me about the importance of vision and how people can get a bit clearer on where they're going and what they want and how to sort of take control of their life. Yeah, good question, man. Um, I think writing things down is a big one for me. Again, it doesn't really matter what your tools are, but you need to find something that's going to allow you to you know, put your thoughts into words. It might be talking to someone. It might be writing things down. Um, I'm not sure if you can see this here. Let me see if I can swing my computer around. Yeah, yeah. Right. They're my, they're my boards, man. My boards See? are on my, my desk and every morning I'll, I'll get up and I'll go through my morning routine and then I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pulling my diary out and I'm writing the things that are important to me and I'm scheduling them in for the day. But that, again, that comes back down to values, having an understanding of what, what, you, what you value and what's going to allow you to you know, bring out the best in you, then scheduling that in. You know, an example of this is uh, I'll, before I go to bed at night, I, I have a notepad and pen by my bed. I don't use my phone. I turn my phone off at a certain time because for me, sleep is a massive priority. You know, that, that comes back down to protecting my immune system and my health. So if I don't have a shitty night's sleep, then that's going to affect my whole next day. So I really try and protect the sleep and uh, I turn my phone off, you know, an hour, hour and a half before I go to bed. And I won't touch my phone an hour, hour and a half after I get out of bed. So, um, so anyway, I have my notepad and pen by my bed. And then at night, you know, whilst I'm laying there, um, you know, turning my technology and everything off, I might just be reading. And as thoughts come into my head, I just start jotting them down, you know, and I might spend 15 minutes there just writing shit down. I'm not using my phone because then you start getting distracted and scrolling through social media and shit. Um, so I go old school and then uh, in the morning, basically, you know, it helps me get to sleep. It's doing a brain dump because you'll go through these processes again and again and again. I've got to call this person about a job. I've got to call, I've got to send this email to this person. I've got to buy some dog food, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, so it's doing a brain dump, man. Um, and then, you know, that allows you to kind of chill out and, and kick off the parasympathetic nerve system so you can rest and digest. And then when I get up in the morning, I'll have a, I'll go through my morning routine. Then I'll pull my, cal- uh, my, um, my calendar out and I'll start jotting down the things that are important to me. And I'll go back to the, the notepad from the night before and there'll be, you know, 15 things written down and there's two things that I need to get done today and I'll just put them into my day somewhere. The other 15, the other 13 things, yeah, not really a big deal. I'll just keep them written down and when I get a chance to get to them, then I'll get to them. And the other thing is, you know, working with your, excuse me, working with your energy levels, paying attention, man. At the end of the day, like all of this information is great information, but you need to pay attention to your energy levels. Um, so for me to, you know, the last couple of days I've had some really, really productive days and I've been getting after it and creating a heap of, heap of content and um, doing coursework and things like that. But today I'm feeling a little bit, little bit flat i'm not quite as sharp as i um have been the last couple of days so i'm changing my routine i'm changing my schedule and the things that i'm getting done today to suit my energy levels you know today i'm, I'm just going to be putting my podcast together um, i've already recorded the episodes but now i've just got to start mixing and um, editing those podcasts and uh, and then listening back to them so it doesn't take anywhere near as much energy as actually creating the content for the podcast so yeah right. you know and, and just paying attention to those energy levels and then allocating the time to it, man. Yeah, Did that answer cool. your question? I kind of went off on a tangent then. Sorry, bro. Yeah. <laughs> no worries at all, man. No, it is. I mean, I think the time management aspect is something that's super important anyway because if you don't, you can have all the vision in the world, but if you don't get stuff done during the day and you don't prioritize, 
you don't go anywhere anyway. And that's something that you are very good at. I've noted that even when we were in Phuket, uh, is watching the way you went about your business. What impact do you strive to have on people, bro? What's the impact that you're trying to have on the world with the work you do and with the content you put out and the way you live your life? I just want to help people, man. I've, you know, I, I came from the background that I did and I've forged my own path and I just want to share the lessons that I've learned throughout this time. You know, I'm not looking to, I'm not, I put out so much content on social media, free content. You know, I do have an online coaching program, but I never push it, man. I never push it. Um, and there's, there's just so many things that I've learned over the years that have helped serve me become the best person that I can be. And I want to help people, you know, put these same processes in place so they can become their best person. Yeah, I want to create my, I want to create myself, um, as an authority in the space, people that someone, uh, you know, someone that people look up to respect and trust their word. Um, one day I might, you know, capitalize and monetize the podcast or, uh, you know, start pushing my online coaching a little bit more or whatever. But right now, man, like that's not my focus. My focus is on, is on helping people. What, uh, what's your advice for young kids out there? I think it's so pivotal, um, having access to good information and good mentors at a young age before you've gone down a certain life path or made certain decisions. What's your advice thinking back to young Sean? Uh, I know you, you actually do write posts back to young Sean, but what, what is your advice for any young person out there who's got big ambitions who, you know, is just trying to find their way in life? Find a mentor. Find someone or not just a mentor, a group of mentors. Find people that you can learn from, people that, you know, seem to have their shit together and they're doing the things that you want to do. Start asking them questions. Find out what makes them tick. Find out, you know, those processes and structures that they have in place that allow them to be their best person. You know, that's if, if you want to do something, someone's already done it ahead of you. You need to find out what that is. You need to learn from them. That's the biggest piece of advice I can get. And again, you know, you... You can't change the people around you, but you can change people around you. Yeah, yeah, totally, bro. That's good, good advice. It's, I think it's just so pivotal. The mentorship side of it's huge. Like I know that times in my life when I've had people around who can shortcut the learnings for me, who can help me steer my direction making for things that I haven't done, are the times that I've made good decisions and progressed faster than anywhere else. And then the times where I've made the biggest mistakes, the times I've fucked everything up, and the times are the times that I've been too scared to reach out to people and I've uh, probably been too embarrassed to ask for help. So good advice. What's, uh, how can people find out more about you, bro? I know you are busy online all the time. You're trying to add value uh, through social media. Where do people get hold of you? What's the best place? Uh, best places are Instagram, uh, Facebook, and YouTube. My Instagram is at K-O-B-E-S underscore P-F-T at Kobes underscore P-F-T. Uh, Facebook is performance functional training and YouTube is at performance functional training. I've actually been putting out a heap of content on YouTube recently uh, during these lockdown times, uh, you know, where I'm putting together training sessions for people uh, to do at home with very limited equipment. So I've put out some sessions with one kettlebell, uh, one band, one set of glide boards, body weight. Uh, and I've put out three training sessions per one piece of equipment, focusing on strength and stability uh, skill development, muscular endurance, speed, power, conditioning. So all of the elements of strength and conditioning. Yeah, fantastic. Highly recommend you check him out. He's one of the best trainers that I've ever come across in my life and I've spent more than a decade around or in the fitness industry in some way, shape or form. 
Uh, last question for you, bro. What is the definition of a life fully lived to you? What does it mean to, to go out there and live life to the fullest? Living life to your fullest is about doing the things that you want to do without being restricted. Boom. Whether that's, you know, hiking, whether that's traveling the world, whether that's, you know, killing it in your career. Uh, it's, it's doing the things that bring you purpose, bring you fulfillment and bring you contentment. Boom. It's a nice note to finish on. Sean, you're an absolute legend, man. It's been a pleasure to chat with you. Uh, I'm grateful to consider you a friend and have you in my friend circle. You're someone that I follow and get a lot of inspiration from and uh, continue the good work, man, because you're doing a lot of good things out there. You're too kind, brother. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it, man. Look forward to chatting to you next time.